My name is Bobby. I'm a paramedic with 27 years of experience in EMS and fire. And my name is Jason, and I'm a retired paramedic with 20 years experience in EMS and fire. And together we're paramedics unscripted. On this show, everything is on the table. We'll talk about burnout in the business, calling 911 for non-emergency reasons, Holly Pharmacy, frequent flyers, the current housing market, the financial system, BS doctor office visits, or anything else we want to, all from a paramedic's point of view. And why? Because we're paramedics unscripted. Welcome into Paramedics Unscripted. This is episode number nine. My name is Jason. I'm here with my co-host, Bobby. Bobby, how you doing, brother? Jason, what's going on? Oh, what is going on, man? Long time, no podcast. We are here to apologize with that right off the bat. Bobby, take it away. Yes, we are here to apologize. We had a uh, we had a delay. Uh, I had uh, a family situation going on. Um, my mother had to have a total knee replacement, and uh, there were some complications. And she ended up uh, having a broken lower femur because where they they replace the joint, you know, they'll they'll cut the uh, the old joint out, you know, right above, you know, the top portion of the tibia, and then at the at the bottom portion of the of the uh, femur, and then they'll cement the new joint in place. And um, she does have slight osteoporosis, and where the uh, the new joint fused to the to the bottom of the femur, apparently, as soon as she started putting weight on it, she uh, started you know kind of creating a compound fracture that was just kind of just getting worse and worse. Because you know when you have this type of surgery, the first couple weeks are crucial because they you know you want to keep that moving. Because, you know, you want to, and they have you up and walking and, and let, you know, in less than probably less than 24 hours after surgery because they want to, you to get that moving in as much as possible and especially putting weight on it, you know, to keep that, that scar tissue at base. So you don't want to, you know, encapsulate the, uh, the new joint. Yeah. And then you run into a whole other world of problems. So as soon as she started putting weight on it, you know, she was a rock star the first couple of days. And we, my father and I, my sister, my aunt were like, damn, man, she's, she's a, she's a warrior. We were all like, this is the, you know, especially my aunt who's had the surgery before. She's like, I, she's like, I was in so much pain. I, I, I could do nearly as much as she's doing right now. But then by about the third day, um, she just started noticing. She's like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to walk on it. I don't feel comfortable with it. We just thought that, you know, well, maybe, you know, the nerve blocks or the nerve blockers that she had, you know, were completely wear, worn off by that point. She sure. was starting to feel, you know, a certain amount of pain that she wasn't feeling before. And she, uh, she's just, she's just refusing. And of course me being who I am, you know, the son, I'm just like, that point is like, well, she needs to put the effort in. So we were showing her some tough love and, um, she just wasn't, I mean, she was doing exercises, but she did not want to put weight on it, you know, which means she was doing like leg extension, you know, exercises from a sitting position or from a, uh, you know, lying position, or she was doing like, you know, just different exercises, you know, without having to put weight on it, but she would not walk on it. And this lasted for about two weeks. So we were getting really worried and, um, we were going to put her in a, in-house uh, rehab facility so she could have, you know, she could be worked on, you know, several times a day, you know, without us, you know, having to show tough love all the time. Right. 
And plus, you know, have, you know, an outside set of eyes looking in, you know, and basically strangers, you know, physical therapists, you know, working on them. Right. And you get an objective point of view that way too. Right. And so, but we also like, well, let's get an x-ray before we do that. Just, just in case. And of course, thank God we did because we took her back to the uh, surgical clinic and they did an x-ray and I remember my, I was out in the lobby, you know, because of all the COVID stuff, you know, they don't want to let a certain amount of people in. So my father was in with her and he texts me while I'm out in the lobby. He goes, well, you're never going to believe this, but your mom has a broken leg. And wow. of course I feel like an absolute asshole at that point. Cause it's like, Holy shit. We've been showing her tough love this whole time. Cause we thought she was procrastinating on doing the exercises because of the, because of how uncomfortable it was, but she was absolutely right the whole time. Yeah, and, th- uh, and think of how much a soldier she was those first few days when she wasn't complaining. Probably because, right. like you said, the nerve blockers and stuff were still going on. But but she was just soldiering on that. <laughs> right, we could we couldn't figure it out because it's just like it, it was almost like a light switch because it's like she went from walking, you know, on it with a walker all day or part of the day, you know, going to and from the bathroom, blah 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 blah. To then all of a sudden, like a light switch, nope. And it's like, what the what the fuck's going on here? And uh, like I said, little did we know, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but little did we know, was, uh, she had broken it right at the bottom of the femur where that top of the joint fused. So then she had to go in the, under the knife again, yeah. you know, in less than three weeks from the first surgery. Um, and they had to cut more off the femur, you know, to go above to where that compression fracture was. Put a new joint in there with an extended amount of titanium going up the femur. And now she's, she's doing great. You know, it's not uncomfortable, but just for safety where she's not leaving the hospital, she's being transferred from that hospital to their in-house rehab facility to where, uh, you know, just in case something happens with this new joint, especially because of the osteoporosis, you know, she'll already be there. The surgeons will already be there and we won't have to, jump through hoops just to get her back in the system. Cause now once you discharge trying to get back in there, it's, it's a pain in the ass. Right. And let, I, I think this is a good time too to maybe if you want to hit that, um, talking about the, tell the, to the listeners, like what the different type of like in-house outpatient, you know, you stay at the facility, you do outpatient stuff, like all the different options you have and in home, of course, too. Right. Like, and of course, rehab. like for instance, my mother, my mother's, uh, you know, she's, you know, working on 80 years old. She doesn't look 80, but she's working on 80 years old. So at that age, and then my father, my father is, uh, you know, almost 80 years old as well. And, you know, even though my father looks like he's about 60 and he, you know, he looks like Eric Clapton does now, you know, he still, you know, can't do it all by himself, which is the reason why, you know, I had to take a bunch of leave from work to, to help him out, which I'm more than happy to do because it's my mom and dad. You know? And, of course, you're on paid leave from the podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, plus, it's my mom and dad. You know, I'll do anything for him. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but, yeah, it's with, especially at that age, you know, and, and this is what kind of pissed me off in the beginning was, you know, because I was under the assumption that after she had the first surgery, you know, the hospital that she went to, that their bread and butter is orthopedic surgery. And aside from that, in-house rehabilitation for post-surgical patients. Yep. But of course, her surgeon, you know, who's a great surgeon, but because of 
and they won't say this, but because of what's going on right now, you know, because of COVID and because of the the shortage of uh, of uh, employees, because since a lot of people don't want to get the jab, they're either getting fired or they're quitting. So there's a massive shortage of RNs, techs, you know, you know, physical therapists, to where they're short staffed. So they're they're you know tell people no you're better off going home being in your own environment you know and for someone that age with a house that's got a massive amount of stairs it's just not going to fly she needs to gain some skill sets with rehabilitation before she goes home instead of learning those as she's at home right you know that 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 in my opinion that's just because you know that that's better for someone of her her age group you know, like someone our age, you know, yeah, we could go home. We don't have to, you know, depending on the situation, we don't have to go through that type of in-house rehab. But for my my opinion, for the older patients, that is crucial. So we made sure this time that she stayed in there. And like Jason was saying, there's different types. There's there's in-house for right after you have the surgery, you're gonna you're gonna stay there for in-house rehab for like up to a couple weeks, maybe more, or you you go home and you have you know, uh, in-house uh, physical therapy for someone that actually comes to your residence and, you know, works you like several, several days a week, you know, and uh, well, there's also the outpatient kinds too. If you have like, yeah. for instance, something, you know, some sort of surgery done on your arm, you obviously can physically walk around fine because they didn't do anything on your, right. on your legs. Then you'll drive to that place every day for a couple of weeks and they'll actually work your arm and put you through motions to get you to get stronger real quick. Oh yeah. And yeah, there's all different types. Like Jason said, um, uh, depending on the situation and, uh, on this particular situation, you know, the in-house rehab post-surgery for at least a week or two after is crucial, you know, and then that will also extend in when she goes home, the same facility will, that particular hospital will send in-house from that point on at least several times a week for probably the next week after that. Right. To check in and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I know you maybe can't say it or whatever. Um, and I don't know your doctor or anything like that. And I'm sure he's a great surgeon and all that, but yeah, it sounds to me just from an outside opinion on it, it does sound to me like, you know, he, he weighed the, the pros and cons or whatever. And I, I, and personally, I think he kind of dropped the ball on that initial decision. Um, because based on the stuff you said, like your, your dad's roughly the same age, um, you know, and, and yeah, they can't handle, yeah, it you can't handle the other know? person. And I had that with EMS a lot where we used yeah. to have to go to, to patients' houses and do, um, um, a lift, you know, lift assist, like help someone get back into bed and stuff like that. And the, and we'd go there all the time and it's not really an right. emergency per se, but you know, it could become one obviously if they can't ever, you can't just lay on the floor their whole life. So, um, and the, and a lot of times with that, the husband on one, I remember particularly, we used to go to like every other night, the husband was like, always so apologetic of calling us and right. at first of course you're like annoyed a little bit like getting out of bed for something like that but then as you keep going you you know when we kept talking to him we're like yeah look like you might need to really consider putting her in a home um and i know that sucks and he was like he was like crying and stuff and you know obviously he didn't want to put his wife in a home and i totally totally respect that but after a while it was just like Look, man, you're, 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 you can't do this. Like, right, and that's a problem. Yeah. You have that's two guys that are in their thirties coming here. That, to, she was a, she was a, a, a bigger person. And it's like, yeah. it, it took, you know, we had two of us that were in our thirties, like able to get her back into bed all the time. No problem. But I mean, you're talking about 
Obviously, he, she sleeps in a, she was at that point, she was sleeping in like a hospital type gurney at the house. Um, so you can't be with her all day because you have to sleep too. And then during the night, she had to get up and go to the bathroom and do all the normal stuff people do. And it was just a lot. And he was doing a lot. Like he was doing tons of stuff. And he only called us when things happened like that at night. But, it, you know, and he was always crying when we met him. And he was so, like I said, so apologetic. We're like, hey, man, it's cool. Like we don't, we'll come out every time. Like we didn't give him any shit about it or anything. Um, but then we're like, hey, at some point, you know, you're probably, and, and then eventually after weeks and weeks and months and months of this stuff, he eventually told us that he was, you know, going to be moving her to home and it hurt him a lot. And I was like, yeah, but she'll be better there because you can still go visit all the time, but she'll have that 24 seven care. And that's, that's something that's, you know, not addressed enough is that when you have, especially an older couple like that, where one of them is the primary caregiver, you know, um, you run into a situation where they, like you said, they can't do everything. And there's certain, you know, especially when you have a situation like that, where you have a hospital bed set up, like probably in the living room and that person has to go to the bathroom multiple times a night, you know, and the other person at that point, when they're constantly up and on it a hundred percent of the time, helping this person, it's only a matter of time, depending on the situation that their health is possibly going to start to diminish because of all the stress and then just running 24 seven. Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Cause how and much, they can't do yeah. How much they can. Yeah. That's what some of these surgeons, not that they're not ballers. That's what some of these surgeons don't like in my mom and dad's situation. This was a surgeon that apparently was used to working on athletes, but then went to general population. And it's just like, look, you need to take this, the age group into, you know, account. Yeah. And he they was, can't do it by themselves, you know, but he was just like, no, she needs to be in her own environment. She needs to, that's the best for her, all that. But yeah, he probably believes that because he's used to work with athletes, but also because they want to get people out of the hospital as fast as possible because one COVID and two, they don't have the staff like they had before because of COVID people don't want to jab and they are short on employees because of that because of either firing or quitting. Well, that, and that's a whole nother topic too, because oh, you know, yeah. in the beginning of the, other rabbit hole. yeah, because I mean, in the beginning of the whole COVID crisis, as everybody knows, um, public workers like EMS people like yourself and, and hospital workers and all those people, they were like heroes. You know, there was that big ploy of there. You're all heroes and you can right. get like free this, free that and all the stuff because they're so important. And then all of a sudden the country kind of switched to where it's like, oh no, now you have to get a hot, uh, a jab to continue to work here. And if not, you're just fired. So now you're no longer a hero. Like that, that's a whole nother topic. Cause that's a bunch of oh, bullshit. Yeah. Too. I, exactly. Like, like you said, that's a whole other topic. But what I will say is that, and like we've touched on before, it is a, it is a choice just like, and what drives me fucking crazy. And yes, I said fucking. It drives me fucking crazy, and that's three times I said that. <laughs> um, is especially these asshats who preach my body, my choice when it comes to certain things like abortion are some of the same people that don't have the same mindset when it comes to this jab, and that pisses me off. I don't care if you're for it or against it. It's a fucking choice. Stop the shaming and shut the fuck up. Right. Sorry, I had to say that. No, I know it is. It's it's it it does get 
like just mind numbing when you see, keep seeing like the flip flopping, you know, like, Oh, yeah, today you're a hero. Tomorrow you're fired. And like, and it's ridiculous. And that's, that's what's, uh, I mean, we'll use, you know, LA County in California as an example, you know, the fire department is, what is it up to? I think it's probably more now, but the last I heard it was over 800 fire department employees that don't want it are, have created a class action lawsuit against the city because their jobs are in jeopardy right. because if they don't get it by a certain time, they can either be fired or whatnot. And that is people need to understand that type of shit is going on. It's not just California. It's going on all over the country. Right. California is probably the oh. worst with most of that stuff, but yeah, it's going on everywhere. Oh yeah. And not just you in know, the medical but- fields either. Like lots of, you know, you can read the news and what, you know, watch your own news in your local area, but there's lots of big major companies, you know, Fortune 500 companies that are coming out making a stance of, you know, this is going to be required by this date. This is not going to be whatever. They're doing their stances with that stuff. Right. And you're going you're to have people that, why don't they just get the jab? Because, you know, it's, it's like because they don't want to because it's a choice and that should be their choice. I don't care if you agree with it or not. It's kind of like it's kind of like freedom of speech. I don't agree with what a lot of people say, but I would still give up my life for their freedom to say it as yeah. long as, you know and, and it's i don't it's give a, a i don't give a fuck if you get the flu shot or not i don't care that's your business but then some people some some of these listeners will come back and say well yeah but you're putting other people in jeopardy it's like no it's like uh newsflash newsflash news it's still transferable when you have the the vaccine they so they say the jab that, that sorry is, that is what that is what is driving me absolutely crazy is is if people would stop and listen to what they're either saying or what they're listening to, it doesn't make sense. I mean, tell me if this makes sense, Jason. Okay. You know, like especially this administration is going to blame, and not only the administration, but a lot of people in this country, whether it's local government or, you know, you know, civilians, you know, average citizens, whatever. A lot of people are like, well, it's the unvaccinated that are the threat, you know, to the vaccinated. It's like, well, hold on a second. Did you, did you just listen to what you just said? It's like you're saying that you're vaccinated, which means if you believe in the vaccine, which you got, you're still going to be afraid of the unvaccinated person over here. You know, it's like if that's what you're afraid of, then why did you get the vaccine in the first place? Right. And why you and know? why when you got the vaccine, if, if it was like the jab again, sorry, if, if you get that kind of stuff. Right, right. Censorship, censorship sucks. Um, yeah, like you, you still have to wear a mask. So how dumb is that? Like you have this thing that's supposed to protect you, but then you still, so that right there shows you that it's all like they're even, I mean, their studies have already shown the stats have already in that you can still transfer it and be a carrier and stuff like that when you already did get the jab. So then, you know, their argument is, well, it makes your, your first, your first case after that could be lessened by that. Okay, fine. But that doesn't mean you're immune from it. So it's not exactly what they're telling you it is. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, brother. So let me get this straight. So the vaccinated are going to be afraid of the unvaccinated for the same reasons where if they weren't vaccinated at all. So basically you're in the same fear factor that you were in before you got vaccinated being afraid of other people. Right. What fucking sense does that make? Because I will say this, I will say this and then I'll shut up because I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but at this point I don't give a shit. Um, unscripted 
yes it's unscripted that's the unscripted part people i'm sorry it's going to be like this sometimes but that's just the way i am and plus uh plus plus we know you've missed us for a couple weeks so we want to come yes. out you know hot and heavy here. got a lot of pent-up anger no, i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i lost my train of thought where was i, was uh, I was you're, like you're I? going <laughs> off on everybody <laughs> that's true no no uh it, it, it just it's just I, i'll just say this it's just uh some of some of the viewpoints just don't make any sense to me it's like okay if you you know and then when you say like what i was just saying about the vaccine you know how it's like what why are you afraid of the unvaccinated if you're vaccinated it doesn't make any sense and then people will come back and they'll say well just because you got the vaccine doesn't mean it it's going to fully protect you it's like exactly right so you're going to be able to get it pretty much this pretty much the same as if you didn't get it you know so you can sit here and say you're not going to get it as bad or not but what i will say is in my line of work in jason's former line of work i don't know how many how many people a majority of the positive um corona people that i have taken care of and i've taken care of a lot of them the past year and a half especially since the vaccine came out Almost every single positive patient that I have taken care of was vaccinated back in April, or as soon as the, as soon as the uh, the jab came available to the public. And people can sit here and say, "Well, you just won't get it as bad." Well, a lot of these people that I have have had it the first time before they got vaccinated, and then they got vaccinated, and then they got it again, and they said it was worse after they got it vaccinated. After right. they got vaccinated, right? So to sit here and say that type of bullshit, where there's absolutely no data that says absolutely zero data that says that you're least likely to get it as bad if you've been vaccinated there's no data out there that supports that right period and people this is the misinformation that's out there that people are taking hook line and sinker because they don't want to look farther into it they they're just like well the uh, the uh, the officials or Dr. Dr. Fauci says that this is this is the truth. It's like, yeah, but if you challenge what Dr. Fauci says, it's like Rand Paul does it all the time, and you know he's right a lot of the time when he challenges Dr. Fauci. I mean, because what you're being told is not always the truth, because there's no data to back a lot of it up. Well, and don't and, and don't forget my my life my life uh, uh, thing I go by basically is that oil and pharmaceutical companies run the run the world. Um, so don't don't forget that these pharmaceutical companies, um, whether you believe them or not, whatever they 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 have a duty to themselves to promote getting this thing, getting these you know the redos and the reshots and all this other stuff. They they want to keep pushing that as much as they can because that's a cash cow for them. So don't don't forget that. So of course take that into consideration when you're listening to who's saying what and all that other stuff because usually if you trace stuff back far enough, you'll find money somewhere. Well, yeah, and it's like I've said before, it's like don't believe everything that you're told or don't believe the first thing that pops up when you Google something. Yeah. Because most likely it's probably the wrong information. Right. That's, that's what we said. a little deeper. Yeah, that's what we said since the, the beginning. Like, hole. yeah, yeah, do your own research. That's what we're saying. If you don't agree with me, fine, I don't give a fuck. If you don't agree with Bobby, I don't give a fuck. I don't agree with Bobby on some stuff. He don't agree with me on some stuff, and that's fine. That's what makes the world awesome is that we can have, like, conversations about this stuff and have difference of opinion without you know, beating people up or being violent towards people or anything like that. We should just be able to have common sense conversations as normal adults in this stuff. And then you can make your own decision 
on what, after you do your own research, if you want to get, get the jab, go ahead and get the jab. If you don't want to get the jab, great, don't get the jab. You know, well, but see, it should be a what? choice for you to make or for your family members to make themselves. Right. It, 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 and your coworkers. Like, absolutely. I mean, because at, at this point, it's it's a choice. You know, if, if you if you get it, good, and you believe in it. If you believe in it, then you're protected. You know, and if you be, if you believed in it enough to get it, then you should also believe that you're protected enough to where you can be around someone that hasn't got it. Yeah, and it got I mean, it's, it's common sense. Right. And God forbid, like, let's say I had a heart attack today or something and I had to go to the ER for that, you know, God forbid, obviously. I, I don't give a flying fuck whether the doctor or the nurse or the tech that's treating me in the ER or the registration, like the admin person who comes in. Like, I don't care if any of those motherfuckers are vaccinated or not. I could care less. I care right. less. I care them taking care of me, doing their job that they're trained to do, just like I was trained to do in, in my job in the past. Like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So, like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going off, man. This pisses me off. No, and like Jason and I saying this, that this, we're not. I'm not anti-vaccination. Neither am I. I'm, I'm, I'm for vaccines. I'm, I just, I'm also for freedom of choice. Like, uh, I don't like, for instance, and this is the last thing I will say, and then we can move on because I know, you know, this is a, you know, a, a topic that a lot of people don't want to deal with, and I, I get it. Um, but say for instance, like we'll, we'll use kids as an example, like in elementary school or junior high or just, or high school, whatever, you know, a, a lot of parents that are anti-vaccination, they don't want their kids to get like the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, you know? And it's like, and then a lot of the other parents who do have vaccinated kids have a problem with those parents that don't want to get their kids vaccinated with those particular vaccines. It's like, Okay. But why do you care if your kids have the vaccine? Well, yes. Well, then why do you care if these kids haven't? Your kids are protected, period. Right. End right. of story. Right. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's just, <laughs> I mean, for, we'll use the polio vaccine, okay? All of us have had the polio vaccine, at least most of us. You know, uh, are you, you've had the vaccine, but is that, are you going to be afraid to be around someone who hasn't or somebody that has polio? Probably not. No, you're not going to ask them either. <laughs> like, who asks right. those kind and, of questions when you're hanging out? So, it's, And this is the common sense that, for some damn reason, is not part of the equation. And it's just, but, you know, and some of the smartest people I know are, you know, fall into that trap. And I just, I don't get it. It's just, That just shows how conditioned people can get when they're beat down with a certain amount of information out there that a lot of times isn't the right information and they just the more they hear it the more they just believe that it's true yeah turn turn off your fucking televisions i mean watch your like fun shows and shit like that whatever you're into but don't don't pay attention to the media because most of those joke heads man are are, they're just spewing the same bullshit they're just saying the stuff they have nothing to back anything up they're trying to fear monger and all that stuff so do your own research and that way you go to, and go to where you want to do your own research, whatever sites or whatever you believe in or whatever, that's your business, but go there and then make your decision off that. Don't make your decision off what some talking head says on, you know, certain channels. I mean, damn, it's, 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 it's probably safer to watch the Kardashians than it is to watch the mainstream media these days. I mean, yeah. damn. I mean, and when that happens, you know, you're in fucking trouble. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't watched the news in like forever, just the generic news or whatever, because it's all, all it is is opinions. It's, it's that, that uh, talking head's opinion. 
his or her opinion yeah. on, on whatever he or she is saying. And I'm not knocking her opinion. That's not what I'm knocking. I'm just saying like, but that's her opinion. I'll make my own opinion. Right. I don't need you to make it for me. I'm not a fucking idiot. You know? Right. And that being said, I'm not trying to talk shit about the Kardashians. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, it's a reality show. I'm when I, I was using them as an example of like a lot of reality shows. I, I just think are sometimes a waste of time. You know, but what I meant was it's it's sometimes it's safer watching those than it is the mainstream media because of the, the bullshit that's peddled on the mainstream media now. And now, of course, you so meant with exception of Below Deck. Those are all amazing. Thank you. Well, I will, I will have to say because, you know, my wife, that's one of her, her guilty pleasures. So, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not going to lie. I have watched that from time to time. So, you know, that's just the way I'm not ashamed. I love that. Show. That's just, that's just one of those compromises you have to make. Yeah. Sometimes, well, sometimes it's good to have that kind of entertainment where you just get brainless, you know, like unplug from everything yeah. and just, and just enjoy the show. I know they create drama, all, all those kind of shows, reality shows create drama when there isn't it, they do all this stuff. I get it, but you just, you just go into it, just watch it, have some fun and get off the, get off the tube. I mean, shit, man, I'm not going to lie. I mean, there were times and I'm not going to say when, <laughs> It, like I, I was in a station in one of the main common rooms with you know in front of the TV on the on the couch, and you know I'm watching little little Kardashians you know to pass the time in between sure. calls, and you know some of my uh, brothers and sisters that I work with come to be like, dude, what yeah, in God's name? That's a lot different though. Like I I can say yeah. when I was when I was a medic, like the I'm amount like, of dumb you, shit you watch. Watching? Look at them, they're hot. Well, yeah, and you're, but you're also there for 24 hours. So, and you're at every shift is there, you know, you're, or, you know, 48s or whatever, but you're always there for those long shifts. So, after you do that repeatedly, repeatedly, you start, like, I know for when I was a medic, like, ESPN was on for to the point where you started seeing the repeats. Like, yeah. you'd see them, re, you know, you see the rebroadcast of the broadcast or whatever. And it got to the point where that was on all the time because you just get, you just have something, you have to have something to fill the time. Because EMS oh, yeah. is not a uh, most places. I will, there are probably some exceptions, I'm sure, in different cities and stuff like that. But most places, you don't like check in, start your shift, and run nonstop till the end of your shift. There are some exceptions, but uh, most places have some downtime. So you know, and 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 our job is stressful in that environment, obvi- for obvious reasons. So you need to decompress when you need to decompress. And if uh, if Bobby does that with the Kardashians, I don't think we should judge him that much. Hey man, I'm not judging the Kardashians. I mean. <laughs> They are beautiful people. Um, there's no denying that. But it is, it, that is mindless TV. But when mindless TV like that is safer than mainstream media, then, damn, man, what kind of society are we living in today? Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's all in good fun, people. Well, well let's, let's get into our, uh, our, our EMS topic. We kind of already hit one uh, with the stuff that went on with your family. Um, so that was actually yeah. like a cool little inside scoop and kind of maybe see behind the curtain slightly with that, which is kind of cool. And um, something I wanted to talk about today, which I know we discussed earlier off, off the air here, was um, uh, cookbook medics. Um, for it, those of explain, people... Explain to people what a, what a cookbook medic is there, my friend. Yeah, a cookbook medic is, um, is my arch, arch nemesis. Um, when, I was, <laughs> when I was in EMS, I can't stand cookbook medics, but cookbook medics are the medics that don't really know what they're doing. Okay. Um, and, and they follow like the protocol book or the, you know, ACLS guideline, whatever they, yeah, they're, they're just following, they're, they're flipping a chart over and they're going, uh, do you have chest pain? Uh, yes. Okay. Hold on. Okay. Do you have, is it, is it radiating anywhere? Yes. Okay. Hold on. And they're doing that kind of bullshit where they don't really know anything. And those are, I, one of my like pet peeves was those are the type of people I couldn't stand in EMS. 
Um, because now everybody, I'm not talking about beginner people. I understand when you begin, you're, you're not as comfortable. You're gaining your confidence. I get all that, but I'm talking about people who have been in the business for a long time and, and they just do that kind of stuff. And you're like, and you ask them why they did this and they have no idea. They're just, well, cause of the chart said, and it went down the tree and it said, you know, that's not, you, you need to use common sense because there are many times in my career and Bobby, I'm sure in your career, you've had a ton or, or probably still have tons um, where you go a little bit off script, but it's the right thing to do based on the circumstances that are not in the normal protocol or not in the normal set of guidelines that you would follow. Um, and, and because you actually know what's going on versus like, well, the, the book said on chapter one, I'm supposed to do this and then go to page three. You know what I mean? Those idiots. So we had those a lot where I lived, uh, where I, where I lived, where I worked. We had a lot of cookbook medics and, um, um, and then we had our, uh, what we called our pleasure palace, which is where our high up admin people worked. And those were the dumb medics there for sure. That couldn't spell ALS if you paid them. Go ahead. Well, I'll give an example of, of a perfect example, or a perfect example of what you're talking about, Jason, which were, cause in my opinion, I mean, uh, I, especially since, you know, I mean, both of us have, have been doing this for a long time, you know, I'm, and I'm just still doing it. I haven't had the benefit of being able to retire like you have yet, but, uh, you got to think outside the box. I mean, and when you're in the game long enough, it's just something that you either do or you don't. In my opinion, if you don't learn to think outside the box, you know, you can possibly run into a lot of problems, especially as a provider that, because you got to, for example, I had a patient that, uh, you know, was in a, certain amount of pain i'm not going to say for what but i'm just it was in a certain amount of pain and i was uh, grooming a new partner who was new to the game and well not new but wasn't nearly in the game as long as i've been and but he's been in long enough to to know how to you know read a, you know to work outside the box sure and uh he's like so bobby you want to you want to give uh, you want to give this particular pain medicine, and I'm like, no. Well, that's what the protocol says to uh, that we need to do. I'm like, okay, let me get this straight, brother. Just because the protocol says that's the next in line doesn't mean that you should do it. You need to treat your patient, not go by the recipe or the next ingredient in the recipe just because it says that that's what you should do. You need that's where paying attention to your patient is what you need to do. Like a lot of people we used to say back in the day was treat the patient, not the monitor. And what I mean by that is the monitor, meaning the EKG life pack that we use. Right. Or treat your patient, not the protocol. Like just, yeah. It's like, it's like if a patient's showing a, a certain, you know, arrhythmia or dysrhythmia, you know, I, me personally, I'm going to, okay, how is my patient responding to what I'm seeing on the monitor? You know, are they symptomatic? Are they asymptomatic? What's going on with them? And then I'm going to treat them accordingly. I'm not going to treat them just because of what's showing on the monitor. You know, like if it's showing, like, say, a third-degree heart block, which, you know, in a lot of protocols, it's going to say, well, you need to start, you know, externally pacing them with a pacemaker. Right. Okay. Which is true. But you also need to look at, okay, how are they, how are they dealing with it? Right. You know, how, how, what are their, what are their, are they symptomatic? Are they asymptomatic? 
and what are the vital signs? What's going on? Or, or, you, know, or, or of, you need to think about those things and say, oh my gosh, this person's in third degree hard block. I need to start pacing them right now. It's like, all right, before you go that route, let's look at your patient and look at what's going on. Or, or if you're going or, to like a just, dock in the follow box. Follow the recipe like Jason's talking about. Yeah, or if you're going to a dock in a box, uh, make sure they're actually having the actual thing that they're telling you they have. Because I know from my experience, um, we used to go to dock in a boxes all the time, which are your, like urgent cares. You know, everybody knows where those are in your neighborhood. And we'd go yes. there all the time. And because of their liability reasons, they would transfer anybody that said the word chest and pain in a sentence out via 911. And we get there right. and they tell us they're having a heart attack. And we put them up to our monitor when we got there. And I'm like, this is a normal sinus rhythm. There's nothing, which is a normal rhythm. Um, there's no heart attack going on here. And then I'd say, Hey, can I see your guys 12 lead that they did the facility did before we arrived? And I'm looking at it and I'm like, uh, this is also a normal sinus rhythm. Uh, there's no, there's no heart attack here. And then you look at the top of their 12 lead on the top where it has like the patient's name and that kind of configuration. Those, those 12 pack life pack 12s and life pack 15s and stuff. They have a computer, uh, analysis system in there that analyzes the data and will tell you like, you know, first degree heart block, whatever. I'll tell you what it thinks is going on. Sometimes they're wrong. I mean, you can look at the thing right. face value and look at it and be like, no, that's not what is, you know, and they would go off that, what that says versus what the actual 12 lead actually showed. And, and that, that got really annoying too, but that's a, and, another topic. And what, uh, what, uh, JP. That's, that's what I call Jason. I call him JP. That's fine. Um, what Jason means by a 12 lead for listeners out there that don't know what a 12 lead EKG is. It's basically 12 lead is it's um, just in simple terms. It's going to take 12 different pictures of your heart. It's going to take from different angles of the heart. So you get a different picture of what possibly could be going on. And um, especially if the patient's having an infarct, you know, or a heart attack on and any particular, you know, side or angle of the heart. Right. It's basically, um, it's giving you a 3D view of the heart on a piece of paper. Right. That's what it's, that's what it's attempting to do. Because obviously if you just put all the electrodes just on the front of the chest and you took a look at the front of the chest for the front of the heart, um, you would see maybe nothing going on because it could all be going on in the back of the heart. Well, that would be fucking idiotic. So, <laughs> so that's right. And all like a 3D view. All paramedics or most, they know how to read 12 lead EKGs manually by, by learning, by reading each each strip, each angle, each, each picture, right. You know, of, of, of the strip, you know, on the 12 lead. But the one thing that all 12 lead EKGs will also do is it'll also, the machine will give you its own interpretation. And what, what he's saying, what a lot of people will do is they will just go by what the machine's interpretation is. And the machine's interpretation isn't always correct. So if you're a paramedic out there that doesn't know how to read a 12 lead, maybe you should learn because you don't want to just go by that interpretation of what the monitor says, because it's not always correct. Yeah. Because a lot of paramedics, like honestly, um, a lot of us that, that it, where I used to work, you know, the, of the good medics that worked there, like we were better at reading 12 leads than some of the doctors, not, not the ER doctors per se, but, like the, doctors, but the doctors are like the urgent cares. Cause they don't see that stuff as much. Most people have common sense to know um, if you're having a heart attack, get to the hospital or call 911 or whatever, depending on the situation where you're at and all that stuff. But, um, so they don't see that as much. Whereas like, you know, a paramedic who sees like every patient that we ran that was ALS 
for us, advanced right. life support. Every patient went on the monitor. So every patient, I'm looking at their 12 lead. Even if I even if they're not having chest pain, you know, but I'm putting them on the monitor just to, you know, CYA basically, I'm looking still reading their strip every time. You know, you take a you take, you know, 10 seconds, you look everything over like, yep, that all looks good. You know, and you're seeing that kind of stuff. So you're oh, reading yeah. it way more times than like the layman doctor is at their, you know, general practice or whatever, those kind of stuff. But the ER docs, they know what they're doing because they see it all the time too. But um, so that's something to think about too. Or of course, like a cardiologist, like they're on a totally another level way above paramedics. Oh yeah. I mean, it, and it's true in what they say, you know, you, you could put say, a cardiologist, an ER physician and a paramedic all looking at the same 12 lead EKG and most likely at least one or two may have a different interpretation. Yeah. You know, it, it, it varies, you know, but that being said, that doesn't mean it's going to be too far off the basis of what it is. You know, there may be just, I mean, like, like Jason was saying, a cardiologist is, I mean, that's their bread and butter. They know better how to, you know, read and or interpret, you know, you know, waveforms on the EKG more than anybody. Yep. So, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the person's and, you know, opinion I would trust more than anybody's because that's, that's, that's their, their forte. That's their bread and butter. That's, that's what they do. Well, I know. And I know too, where I worked, um, our life pack 15s were set up to, uh, we had multiple hospitals in the area, but we had our, our best one, if you want to call it that, whatever the highest level one, whatever. Um, and our, uh, life pack 15s, anytime you ran a 12 lead would automatically send that to the hospital, the ER. Um, now that doesn't mean that patient's ever getting transported. For instance, you know, it could just be, I don't know, some layman person comes by and wants their heart checked and there's nothing wrong with them. You know, they just want to get it checked. Um, so, so it doesn't mean you have to transport that person or anything, but the doctor does get to see those if, and, and, and if the computer system on their end flags one is like, you know, Oh crap kind of thing. Cause there's someone that watches is watching that computer screen when they pop up. And if there's one that's questionable or something like that, they can reach out to us um, and get us, you know, the, Hey, do you see what you have here? Yes. Yes. I already see this. Yes. We're working on it. You know what I mean? Or whatever, you know? So there is, there was like a, a catch system, you know, to help out with that too. I totally agree. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's, that's another way too, but that, that was my thing on cookbook medics because I just think again, and you not a lot of times for, at least where I worked, the cookbook medics were more, uh, more, more, uh, kin to the fire side. Those were the ones that didn't really care as much about EMS. Um, and it's just where I worked and you, maybe your situation is different, you know, wherever you work as a listener here. But, um, those guys were the ones that, you know, didn't really have as good of grasp of what was going on as the ones that are doing it every day. And that, and that's to be fair, they're doing it day in, day out on the medic unit versus those guys aren't. Um, I know for me, when I, where I worked, I had a, I had a stint when I was on the engine, um, as the medic, but on the engine for, I don't know, I don't know, six months, nine months. I don't remember what it was. Um, and then eventually when I got moved back to the medic unit, uh, which is, you know, obviously where I wanted to be, um, it took me a couple weeks to get back into the, the swing of like being an awesome medic again, because, <laughs> because on the engine, you really, most of the time you're not doing ALS stuff. You're doing a little bit of assistance maybe until the medics get there. And then you kind of just become a, you know, help lift cots kind of person and help carry See, I'm gonna, gear. I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you on that point there, brother. Hey, that's I'm cool, gonna, man. And like I said, it's, it differs everywhere you work. 
Well, see, that, that's a good thing. We can disagree and still have a dialogue. That's important, no matter what you're talking about. That's anyway. No, I, I, I agree and disagree with that because I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're not as much on your game, especially when you're an, a medic on the engine. But the benefit of that is, especially when you want to take a break, is you know you can switch to the engine. You can be the paramedic on the engine. The beautiful thing is, usually like if the engine's the first to get there, you know you're the first to start treatment, and then you can just pass it off and not have to transport, get back on your engine, and go back to the station. Yeah, go back to sleep. Don't have to write the report. You don't have to do any of that. I mean, yeah, yeah, that is true. There is there is a benefit to it for sure. I'm not saying there's which not a perfect, benefit, and there- which is perfect, and, and which to me is perfect, especially if you're like we talked about before, as far as burnout. That's a that's a perfect situation for you to have access to if you need it because you can still do your job but not do it as much to where you know especially if you're burned out you're still doing your job but you're you're not doing it as much because you kind of have a dual role when you're on the engine or the truck yeah and we had some medics um that were like engine medics like that's what they became like because they got maybe they became an officer or something like that um and they were still I don't, I don't want to say all the time, but regularly, regularly, um, deployed to a medic unit because of staffing issues or whatever people calling out. So I'm not talking about the ones that, you know, did the medic unit itself every once in a while. Those ones kept on their game really well. It's the ones that, you know, the good old boy network stuff where you see that they kind of just got the cert, don't really know how to spell ALS and, and just, and just keep that going there. That that's where you saw the ones where you're like, wow, you know, like you get there and you're like, you've been here for this lot what'd you do well uh, you know and they didn't really do anything and you're just like what a waste of space you know right but that's that's like i said that's just where i worked um and there were also great medics like i said that were in the medic unit we had the awesome medics on the medic units and then we had some medics that were you know pretty good and and stuff like that on the engines too that but some of that like i said wasn't all their fault because um we didn't decide where we were staffed so to speak you know but that's just pretty Oh, go ahead. No, Jason. go ahead. No, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was just gonna, I was just gonna rewind a little bit for any listener out there that when we were referring to the life pack 15s or the life packs in general, what the life pack is, is basically it's a, it's a combo piece of equipment that we have. It, it's your EKG monitor. It is your blood pressure monitor. It is your O2 monitor. Yep, pulse oximeter. Yeah. It's your pulse oximeter. It is your um, you know, 12 lead EKG. It is your defibrillator, which, you know, will give you juice of electricity like you see on, if, if you watch any of these programs. It is your pacemaker. Yep. Or it is your cardiovert. Yep. You know, piece of equipment to, to, you know, utilize cardiovert. You know, it's a multi piece of equipment. In my opinion, it's probably the most important piece of equipment that we have. You know, because it has such a multifunction and it, and it is crucial to what we do. And so anybody that didn't know what we were talking about, that's what it is. Yeah. And most of the newer ones now too, just, just to, cause you said the thing, like you see on TV, most of the newer ones now don't use the paddles anymore. Like you see in the old, old school shows. I miss where, those paddles, man. Yeah. Where you're like, I mean, when I, when I became a medic, that was like kind of getting phased out in our area a little bit. Like you, some, you had some that had that, but they always had the option of the pads too. Um, right. for safety reasons. Cause obviously if you're holding those paddles up, just fucking around, um, and you deploy the button, you can do some serious damage to people. Um, so that, that happened uh, numerous times that I'd like to talk about <laughs> that I've heard stories about, right. but, um, yeah, the pads are just like stickers. Basically you put the stickers on the chest where it tells you to put them. They're kind of brainless 
and then you just put them on there and then they'll do, you know, you hit the button, it'll do the, the, do the shock for you that way. But that way the, the stickers are there, which I actually liked a lot more because if we had uh, a patient that, you know, we felt was circling the drain, so to speak, you know, they're alive, but they're, you're like really worried about them, be telling your driver to haul ass. Um, you could put the pads on them early on with someone else in the back with you before you start driving, let's say, um, they're not you driving, but before you take off from the scene, you get those on there. And then that's a lot easier than having to, to something else to fiddle fuck with. If, uh, God forbid, uh, the shit does hit the fan. Right. And what Jason's talking about by pads where they're like those big sticker pads that or big electrodes. Yeah. Like, like if you've ever seen like, you know, for the EKG monitor, you put the little, you know, electrodes that stick to you on certain parts of your chest and are connected to a wire. This is the same concept, it's, but it's about 20 times the size. And there's two of them, you know, basically a positive and a negative, if you will. Yeah. And But the beautiful thing is they also have multifunction, which means if you want to defibrillate, you can use them to defibrillate. You can switch modes and use them to pace as yep. an external pacemaker or for cardio version. Yeah. Um, so we'd slap them on just sometimes on if you had a bad patient you were kind of worried about, just slap those right. things on and then you can, you're ready to go if you need to. If not... You're still using the little the little electrodes are I don't know roughly the size of a quarter or so depending on what kinds you use and there's different brands but they're roughly the size of a quarter whereas those big things we're talking about the defibrillator pads or pacing pads or whatever those you're talking about are about the size of a hand maybe you know right so yeah but yeah it's it, I like that a lot better like I said for from the stories I heard I've never used I never got to use the paddles because like I said they were phasing them out when we when we when I started doing EMS damn so, brother you're not as old as I thought you were. <laughs> See, that, that's, that's, well, I think for safety I, reasons, I, I, I just actually, think it's smarter. I got you know, like you don't need the big show. No, it and, actually is smart. It's a lot smarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like if you, like I said, if you have those paddles out and you discharge them while you're just, I don't know, just standing up, like checking your unit out, and I'm aiming them at you and discharging them, like near you, that could become a really problem and could possibly kill someone. Whereas a pad, you have to stick that on somebody. Like you definitely know you're putting a sticker on somebody. That's a huge sticker. So. Yeah, for the listeners out there that when we're talking about paddles, what we used to use instead of these big electrodes like we're talking about is if you remember, like, say we use like one of the, we'll say like emergency or any of these hospital shows where they bring the crash cart in and they pull the paddles out, put the gel on it, rub the gel, and then, you know, put the paddles, you know, on the sternum and to the side and shock them with electricity. Those Those are the paddles. That's what we used to use for that's you know that shock is a, a you know defibrillation right you know but now we have these big electrodes where they they're used for three different things you know uh well not to mention you you had to, and cardio well you had to have you had to stock gel back then like you said yeah the gel you had to clean those every time so after you're done oh, using yeah. them of course on a patient you have to that's another thing you have to decon whereas these these the defibrillator pads and um, that they came with, you know, they came out with that are like the stickers. Those are just trash. Like they go in the trash. So like, well, if you bring them on a patient, they're just going to stay on the patient. The hospital will take them off, you know, when they. And that's fit. the beautiful thing is, and, and plus, in, as far as the safety factor goes, you're not like with the paddles. You literally had to stand over the patient, and made sure that you, except for the exception of holding the paddles, that you weren't touching. That's why we say, you know, you know everybody clear because right. everybody when we send that jolt of electricity through the patient you know if you're touching the patient or you're touching the cot or you're going to get you know you're going to feel that you're going to get electrocuted yeah yeah because you know, anything wanna, that's metal that you're touching or if you're right. touching the patient themselves like their arm you're is gonna like, get jolted. yeah if you're if they're doing a cpr like a lot of the um 
like the the CPR, like the Lucas and stuff like that that they have, which we'll talk about some other time. But they would have like little restraints you could put on their wrists to hold their to hold their arms because you know they're they're dead at that point. Um, to hold their arms like in a certain position so they weren't flailing around because if you're shocking somebody in their arm just falling off the side of the cot and it happens to be on your leg or something like that and you shock them, yeah, you're going to go for a little bit of ride yourself. And obviously that could become a uh, massive clusterfuck at that point. But, right, and with the, like I said, with the paddles, we had to pull the paddles on them and then stand kind of like away at the same time. So they had to make sure that nothing else was touching the patient or the cot you know, except for us holding the paddles to them. And we had to make sure anybody that was help, you know, helping us work on the patient wasn't touching the patient. Right. And I, you're, and you're doing that, mind you, in the back of a medic unit that's flying. If, right. you're, if you're doing a CPR like that, your driver is now hauling ass down the road, lights and sirens. Um, probably not caring so much about bump bumpiness to a point. You know what I mean? Like, right. yeah, they're not driving like renegades over curbs and stuff like that, but, but you know, it's going to be fast. There's a lot of, you have to learn. That's one of the things you learn in the medic field or the EMT field. Even when you first start is learning balance. Cause standing up in the back of a truck while you're going 70 miles an hour down a highway is, is a lot harder than you think it is, you know, cause you, oh, don't, yeah. you don't want to be falling on the patient. And obviously while you're shocking them, you can't be touching them or you're going to become a patient yourself. And that becomes a massive cluster. Right. Cool. Um, oh, and I know you wanted to talk about some other stuff, so I'll let you get into that now. No, man, I think I, uh, I think I kind of got out uh, what I needed to get out in the beginning. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. So, so no additional information on that. Well, that's cool. No, man. I think, uh, like I said, uh, when it when it well, what I will say when it comes to and I think we just touched on it a second ago when, when we had a difference of opinion on a particular topic we were talking about. When we were talking about the uh, – I can't even remember what it was now. But even though we have a difference of opinion, there still needs you still should be able to have a dialogue. And that's important because, you know, at least I remember, I can't speak for you, Jason, that, you know <sighs> – there are plenty of times when, whether it's friends, whether it's family members, whether it's people that we work with, whether it's work, family, whatever, you're always going to have people that have a difference of opinion, especially when it comes to politics or something else that's personal to a lot of people. You know, but you're, for the most part, you're still able to see the differences and just respect the difference of opinion and still be able to talk about it, still be able to have a dialogue. But nowadays, it's it's gotten to the point where it's created such – tribalism as far as if you're either on one side or you're on the other and that is and i am going to put this out there i do blame and i'm not going to name which ones or or all of them or whatever i'm not going to say that but i do think that social media has a lot to do with that because that social media has created a lot of keyboard warriors if you will to where they they are more com- they they can hide behind their keyboard and say whatever the hell they want. We call those keyboard gangsters, usually, right? But it's usually something that they wouldn't have the balls to say if they were in front of your face. Of course, not some people would, yeah. But a lot of them know, and I think that that's that's part of the problem. You know, is is social media has created an atmosphere to where, you know, there it it, it it creates a divide when it comes to differences of opinion. Because I remember, and I'm sure you do too, back in the day, it's like. Shit, especially in our line of work, there are people that had that you're still friends with to this day that, that you still look at as family that you had different political views, religious views, just different ideological views in general. But 
you're still friends with them because they're a good person. Right. You know, and, and, and that's like, I don't want everybody to think like me, just like I'm sure you don't want everybody to think like you. I mean, that's what makes this world a beautiful place is because yeah. people have, have different thought processes and different, different opinions. And it's, you know, so for, for me to see, and I can't, like I said, I can't speak for everybody, but for me to see how, you know, polarizing, how tribal things have gotten just because people have just, we'll just use different opinions on this jab situation. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely crazy. And, you know, that's all I'll say. I just, my whole point is no matter what your view is, you should still be able to, you know, be able to have a conversation. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if the whole world agreed with me, I'd always be right. How boring would that be? Like yeah, you'd, you'd have no one to talk to about anything because everything you said, you, everybody. Like, yeah, no, you, you'd be like, man, you get bored. It's like I can't bounce shit off anybody. Right, right, they're, right. They're already gonna agree with me, you know. Right. They're already no. gonna tell me what I want to hear. Yeah, because I, I mean, we've had, we've had plenty. Me and you, we, we've been friends for a long time, and it's like I've definitely had times when I've talked to you about stuff that I'm not talking about EMS related necessarily or anything, but where I've done stuff, said something to you about whatever something happened, and you're like, well, that was fucking stupid, and I'm like probably right you know what i mean or or vice versa or you've done something that i whatever and it and, and it's cool to have that that back and forth part of it to talk about things like that versus like oh yeah man i mean yeah whatever you do it's like you know gospel dude like thanks for doing that yeah you should have you thought about right. it so you should have done it because you're always right like who lives in that fake world that's dumb um yeah but we're at like 57 minutes so do you want to just wrap it up today yeah, man, I'm cool with that. All right, cool. Well, uh, before we do our uh, our outro here, I just want to give a uh, big fuck you shout out to uh, Brian Landry and his fucking parents. <laughs> you can all go fuck yourselves with your bullshit excuses about everything. Um, you look suspect as shit. Um, no one lawyers up unless they're fucking guilty to begin with. So go fuck yourselves. Anything well, you want to add? <laughs> one quick note on that. I know you and I talked about this, you know, prior prior to the podcast today but this is what i don't understand okay you're gonna have your fiance no matter if you had differences on your road trip or not to where you had to come home or whatever you had got to fight whatever okay I, i can understand that but for her to go missing and then you not want to even talk to her family about it or talk to anybody about it i mean what you're not concerned about someone who that you were supposed to love yeah that's suspect to me and then yep. two you're going you're going to go on a fucking hike you know whether it was in the swamp where everybody was looking including dog the bounty hunter we love you brother yeah hell yeah or uh you know or on the appalachian trail you know i personally think that he just said that he was going to be in that swamp to redirect everybody to that swamp because it's so heavily dense that it's going to take forever to go through the whole thing when really he was probably and still is on the Appalachian trail. Oh, I, I think his parents are like it, it implicated in this a lot too. And I think that's going to come out in the future. I hope so, because I, I think there's a lot of uh, their stuff involved too. I think that was all, you know, that's just my opinion on it, but I think there was a lot of planning on their part too. Cause they just seem like scummy people. I mean, you had this girl living in your house for two years she lived with the, 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 the guy's parents at their house in Florida for, for two years. And he just comes home with her and you don't care. And then you find out, you know, find out officially through the police and stuff like that. You find out that those remains were hers. So she's now officially dead. And there's no condolences from your family to them. 
the other family of the deceased has been has reached out multiple times via text and phone call, all documented, all trackable, and never got a response from this family when they were first looking for their daughter. Like, hey, where the hell's our daughter? You know, all this stuff. And they wouldn't even have the decency to just answer the phone, talk to them. Like, that, that's sketchy as fuck. That whole family is sketchy as fuck. I know they're business owners too, so I hope your business fucking folds in and you fucking go bankrupt from that. And I hope they go to jail. Uh, obviously, the son's, most, in my opinion, going to go to jail once he gets caught um, and face his, his time there with that stuff. But uh, I think the parents need to, too, because I think that's just ridiculous. Well, and in all fairness, just hypothetically saying, you know, say, for instance, he had nothing to do with it. Um, you would still think that he would even if he lawyered up or even if the family lawyered up, he would still want to be in some sort of communication with them or the authorities to try to help find the person that he supposedly loved and was going to marry. I mean, that that's just something I can't wrap my head. Right. But instead he just comes home with her van. (laughs) He just drives cross country in her van, like tweedledee, tweedledee. Plus, plus if I was his parents and you know, it's pretty much pointing in the direction that, yeah, my kid did this. Yeah, you're a narcissist. Well, He's a narcissist. And I'm, so not gonna, I'm not going to I'm not going to help him or her get away. Yeah. You know, depending on like, well, in this particular situation, we're talking about him. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to help him, you know, get away, especially if I personally thought he was guilty. Right. You know, because I, you know, I would think it was suspect being a parent. Being like, why doesn't my son want to even talk to the family about their daughter or talk right. to the authorities about exactly what happened and give them your story? I mean, especially if this is a person that you supposedly were going to marry and love. I mean, shit. Well, her her, her death yeah. yesterday was ruled a, by a death by strangulation. It's a homicide. It was ruled that weeks ago. Right. But it was uh, uh, the coroner came out yesterday and said it was a strangulation. Strangulations normally in, in stuff that I've seen are uh, normally going to be um, crime of passions type stuff. You know the person who's doing that normally. Um, right. I'm, I'm sure there's exceptions to every rule, but it, it, it's not looking good. You know, obviously he hasn't been proven yet that he's done anything, but just it's all suspect. It's all cir- circumstance. I know at a lot of this point with this stuff, but um, until they bring him in and stuff like that, but it's, it's just ridiculous. Like he was, with you, they have times he was with you. There's times that they have it, you know, and then and then they find her right there, and she was strangled, and and they were only the two people. And he was definitely the last person to see her alive. So these are all things that are pointing in that direction. And the fact that the, his family is just like Tweedledee, Tweedledah, you know what I mean? Is all is all a bunch of bullshit. I so. just I just can't I can't imagine. And like I said, I'm just this is just me. I can't imagine getting in a fight so bad to where you want to do kill the person you love me come on yeah yeah that's you know i mean I well that's why i think he was i think he was he was a narcissist that's why i'm saying that right. because he I mean, yeah I, he only cares about that, himself and that kid man he doesn't even i mean what is he 23 he looks like he's like 35 i mean holy shit imagine how he's gonna look when he's 50 yeah <laughs> especially yeah. especially after getting pounded in the ass in prison but that's beside the point uh I, well i mean who knows I me mean, it's been you had this manhunt going on for what a month now. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, uh, a little. I think a little over a month now, technically. So because it, it was like in August, late August is when the whole thing started unraveling, and then now it's you're in October now. So yeah, it's been like six weeks, four to six weeks somewhere in there. Yeah, that poor girl, man, that poor kid. I mean, that's just, uh, it's just, I just can't imagine 
yeah. being so I can't imagine being so mad at someone that I love that I would be capable of something like that. I just can't imagine that. Well, and it's it, this case has been like I actually follow this from the I don't normally follow mis- missing cases like this. Like I, you know, I pay attention to it. Obviously, you get the Amber Alerts. You, you know, everybody does their part. Hey, did you see anything like this in your area? No, okay, but you know, you keep an eye out, kind of a side eye out out for stuff. Normally, I don't get involved with this, but this was so. Come so, on, man! You know you really want to be Nancy Grace. No, 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 definitely not. But uh, but de- but sure? this one was so sure. fucked from the beginning. Just like the with the stories of like. You know, just it was just so weird from the beginning. And anybody, like, I mean, I was an EMS, so obviously we deal with police and law enforcement a lot. Um, and you see uh, stuff going on that's that's you know not it's like you know bad stuff going on sometimes. And right. when you see anybody just lawyer up right away, they won't talk. And then and then okay, and so that's that's obviously you could you could pro and con that both ways. Okay, fair enough. But when they lawyer up, that's suspect. When they um, then then on top of that, when they they run. Or, or hide or whatever they're doing, that's also massively suspect on top of it. So I have a hard time. Uh, that, that's why it just grabbed me from the beginning with this stuff and just reading this stuff. And every day there's like a little bit more stuff that comes out and, and you're just like, what the fuck? Well, I mean, playing, playing devil's advocate, I mean, I, um, I agree with everything you just said, but at the same time, and especially in today's culture, uh, yeah, I would... Even if I was completely innocent, I would I would lawyer up. You know? Yeah, I, yeah. But I would I wouldn't be as tight lipped, and I wouldn't be as like uh, you know I wouldn't escape like he obviously has. But uh, I mean, yeah, I, I mean we could go on and on about this, but yeah, I mean my personal opinion. Do I think he's most likely guilty? Fuck yeah. Yeah, I mean, do, that, I, do I know he's guilty? No. There's a difference but, between lawyering up, though, in my in my opinion. There's a difference right. between lawyering up and then lawyering up and running away. There's a big difference. Right. Cause if you lawyer up, then you're willing to potentially on, on the advice of your counsel, uh, um, go talk to the police and answer maybe some certain questions that your lawyer says you can answer. Um, right. you know, there, there, there's a little cooperation there. There's some sort of cooperation thing. Uh, there was not from him. I mean, cause he ran not, not, I'm not saying he wasn't cooperative. He just ran. He lawyered up and pussied out. He's a big wuss. Probably he doesn't have a fucking ponytail. You know what I mean? <laughs> what is that supposed to mean? Dance, dance like that. What? Just, uh, just face the music, man. Just face the music, man. If you did something stupid, man up. Hold on a second. Now I'm fixated on the ponytail. What are you talking about? Uh, just the, the nature. Are you talking about the man bun? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. I have a man bun. What are you talking about? Uh, I'm sure. No, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> I'm sure you hey. do. Okay. Since we've touched on this, I'm going to say one thing. Okay. There, there are only two groups of awesome people that look great in the man bun. Can you guess what those are? Or who they are, excuse me. Uh, maybe sumo wrestlers? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, that's... I mean, that's, that, that I mean, that's definitely a thing now in that culture. three. There's okay. three, but they fall into a category of, of another group I was that I was thinking of. Of man buns that are cool. Yeah, uh, you got so that, that, that are that are cool, great groups of people that look good in the man bun. All right, enlighten me. Or the man, or the the man kind of bald ponytail, if you will. Yeah. Samurai. 
Obviously. Oh, well, that's yeah. yeah, that's the same kind of thing, like same sumo samurais, that's Sam, samurai, Asian culture, like cool stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Or or, or yeah, or or um, you know, your Pacific Islanders, like you know, Native Hawaiians, or right, right, right. You know, they, I mean, they 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 can rock that and they look good because I mean, not only are they awesome people, but I mean, they just look good. Yeah, it, that's true. That's true. Any any of that kind of like that. Yeah, I agree with that kind of stuff. Like when it's cultural related, that's different. That's that's a lot different than your hippie tree hugger, you know. And I have to give a shout out to uh, to Hawaii because um, that's like a second home to me. I love Hawaii and uh, I love the people there. And uh, yeah, I can't say enough. It's a magical place. Yeah, never been. That's something on my list. I want to do so down down the road. That's something I want to do because I've heard it's amazing. Yeah. So I know. Right, I'm especially I'm especially big. I'm especially really fond of the Big Island of Hawaii. You know, because uh, just—I mean, I just—I can't even do justice by even talking about it. You just got to go. Yeah. And 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 the people, you know, the native Hawaiian people are just—you know—I can't say enough great things about the native Hawaiian people. Yeah. So, no, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I've heard nothing but good things from anybody that's ever been there. Damn it, you're a freaking travel agent. You need to go. I know. <laughs> I do. I do need to go. But they've they've also had so many restrictions for the last like two years with all the COVID nonsense. So that's that's put a damper on it as well. But it is also you know an expensive thing to get out there because you got to pay for the flight and all this stuff. Oh yeah, I mean it's, it's, you're absolutely right. I'm not I'm not denying that. But I just felt like especially during the whole COVID situation, I felt really bad for you know the Hawaiian Islands because uh, you know I mean that's that's they they a big part of revenue for the islands is, is tourism and just people coming in. And, uh, they were, they were closed and locked down for a long time. And, yeah. and that really, that really hit them hard. And, uh, which, you know, made me sad cause I, I love them. I love the islands. And, um, so they opened back up. So if you can go, go, but the, the silver lining in that whole situation is, especially when it comes to some of the coral reefs and, and some of the famous uh, stretches of beach, you know, it really kind of gave a, a healthy rest for not so many people coming in there and, and just, you know, because people don't understand when it comes to like, say, especially we'll just use sunscreen as an example, especially to some of these famous reefs, you know, especially in Oahu. Uh you know, just thousands of people, thousands and thousands of tourists per year, just coming to see certain reefs. I mean, just how the, just the chemicals that go in the water can just harm the reefs. I mean, they needed a break. So that's the silver lining in my opinion. But then on the flip side, you know, there are a lot of people that, that their jobs, you know, depended on some of the, that tourism and, and it, they were locked down for months. Yeah, no, so, for sure. And good. I mean, so, and good on them too, to a point, because some of that you had to lock down because you don't need that you know, for that COVID stuff, you didn't want that coming to the Island. If you could just shut everything down and avoid it and hopefully it'd blow over. I know they're open back up now. There's talk. They might go back a little bit. And maybe yeah, I'm going there. Open. I'm going, I'm going there in April. Yeah. Uh, get that in if you can. Cause I've heard there, there yeah. may be things, you know, if, if everything keeps rising the way they say they may shut down again, but, but um, yeah, it's awesome. I'm glad they're getting anybody. Every place was hit by travel bug uh, as far as like not, um, getting the revenue that they get normally from all the tourism and stuff like that. So it's good. I'm glad anybody opens up. Like I, I think all these places should be opened up personally, but that's just my opinion. Um, I, 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 can't, I can't blame the Hawaiian Islands, especially, you know, being pretty much smack dab, almost smack dab in the middle of the Pacific ocean. Yeah. You know, uh, where, 
I mean, yeah, you're you're isolated out there, but still at the same time you want to protect what's there. So yeah, of course you're gonna want to lock down because you don't want to bring that. I mean, you're you're like I said, you're smack dab in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and uh, yeah, you want to keep, uh, keep your paradise a paradise, not not have it become like every other place in the United States. Right, it's going through you a lot know, of stuff and, right now. And uh, plus, yeah, it, it's it's just like I said, I can't say I can't say enough about Hawaii, and uh, it's a magical place. So anybody out there that has a chance to go, do it because you know, like I said, I you can't explain it; you just have to experience it. And uh, especially if you love the water, just go. Yeah, absolutely. Water, the scenery, so everything. Oh yeah, and just just and the the people, especially the people, the people are probably some of the, the the nicest people I have ever met. So and you know they they love their culture. I love their culture, and they're you know like I said, I can't even praise the Hawaiian Islands enough. So cool, that's all. That's all I'll say. All right, well uh, let's wrap this up then. Um, we want to thank everybody for all the continued support. Obviously, so we talk about it every show, just doing some of the normal stuff here. Um, thank you for all the likes. Thank you for all the reviews. Thank you for all the subscribes, all that stuff that you guys can do. Um, keep talking about it. Keep telling all your friends about it. We'd love to get more and more people every day listen to our shows and that we can cover more and more topics and get more and more in depth with everything. Um, so thanks again. Uh, we're going to wrap the show up. A big Sorry fuck you. Yeah, a big fuck you to the laundries. Um, <laughs> so fuck you guys. Thanks again for listening to Paramedics Unscripted. We'll see you next week on Paramedics Unscripted. Unscripted.